In Southeast Agnet's Ag and Review, for the week ending May the 6th, there are a lot of concerns out there about how slowly this process with TPP or the Trans-Pacific Partnership is going. And Kent Backus, National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Director of Trade, discusses the concerns they're having. Without question, the most important issue facing the U.S. beef industry this year is the passage and implementation of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Now, we're concerned that if Congress does not act this year, then we could see TPP fail altogether. That's uh, a very uh, grave situation to be in, and Congress has a very limited time in which to bring this up and to, to move forward with it. But it's important that they understand the significance of the situation. Now, for us in the beef industry, if it's implemented, we're going to be one of the biggest winners out there because all the massive tariffs that will be eliminated, especially into the Japanese market, we're going to see a 38.5% tariff on our beef go away. That's important because Japan is our largest export market. Last year, we sold $1.3 billion worth of beef into the Japanese market. So when you look at it, we could be major uh, victors from this if it passes, but if it fails, then we are going to see a significant portion of our market share, especially in Japan, go away. Our leading competitors for the Japanese market are the Australians. And they have a trade agreement that took effect on January of 2015. And as a result, they have about a 10% tariff rate advantage over us. That means that they can sell their beef at a more competitive price in our leading export market. As a result, we lost about $300 million in sales to the Japanese alone last year. We want to regain that. We want to get that access uh, into that market. And the only way that we're going to see a level playing field is if TPP is passed and implemented. In other news, a low-grade avian influenza was found recently at a Missouri turkey farm, and it led federal officials to call 39,000 turkeys at that facility. During a routine inspection, USDA said inspectors found samples of H5N1 in a healthy flock, and the birds were destroyed as precaution. But that strain is far less deadly and infectious than the H5N2 virus that was found in the Midwest last year. You know, it really doesn't matter what crop you're growing. Soil testing is important. At least that's according to University of Georgia Extension soil scientist, Dr. Glenn Harris. You hear it so many times, it's hard to make it interesting. I don't know what to do. I used to tell people you heard it a million times, I'm going to make it a million one. Um, soil testing is the key. I mean, you just don't know what you're dealing with unless you soil. Now, you've been soil testing over the years, things, you know, but things like pH can drop on us, potash can drop on us. Those are two very important things. We're doing more grid sampling, which I think is a good thing. Variable rate lime and potash, uh, those are all good things for us, I think. Um, but, you, you know, I, I get calls once in a while and they say, uh, how much fertilizer do I need from my cotton or corn and i said well what's your soil test i said i don't have one that's really hard to answer that question and harris says in many cases yearly soil testing is very important yeah in fact on row crops we recommend uh soil sampling every year um it's just a fact the way our soils are in the southeast that uh they're they're poorly buffered they don't have a lot of clay and organic matter uh things like ph and potash can drop on you in a hurry uh, compared to places like the midwest um now maybe pastures we don't have to sample every year but when it comes to uh, row crop agriculture trying to make these budgets work uh it's, it's a it's a worthy investment well in other news the latest numbers show that peanut stocks are up over 36 percent as tyron spearman has the details each month usda issues peanut stocks and processing this is the eighth month of the marketing year for peanut industry and it shows right now that as of the month of march peanut stocks are at 4.81 billion pounds that's equivalent farmer stock 
That compares to 3.49 billion pounds of peanuts last year, and that is up 36.6%. That's the reason the contract prices are low with all of these peanuts in storage. The total also includes 4.07 billion pounds of actual farmer stock. That's 46% more than farmers had on hand last year. The total shell stocks at 518 million pounds. That's up only 1%, indicating that the shellers are only shelling what is needed in the trade. Edible peanuts that are considered by type is that the Virginias and Valencia peanuts are 80 million pounds. That's up 17%. Runners is 372 million pounds, and that is down 5.8%. And that's good news for peanut farmers in the southeast that grow the runner-type peanuts. In March, the shellers shelled 466 million pounds. That's 2.9% less than last March. And commercial processors used 178 million pounds of shell peanuts. That is 3.3% less than March of last year. So far, the usage of peanuts is down for the month, 4.9% during March. But overall for the year, up 1%. USDA says it should be up at least 3% this coming year. The government is doing its part to utilize these excess peanuts. Purchases are up 30.6% for the year, mainly in the buying of peanut butter for nutrition programs and some roasted peanuts for the military. I'm Tyron Spearman for Southeast Agnet. Now with this week's Georgia Grown Moment, here's Nathan Wilson. For this week's Georgia Grown Moment, we talk with Georgia Grown Executive Chef Holly Shute about her favorite ways to prepare sweet Georgia Vidalia onions. Well, Vidalia onions are so versatile and everybody just loves when they come into season and we're so blessed here in Georgia. One of the ways I love them is just raw on a fresh tomato sandwich. There's nothing better. Um, You can also roast them with olive oil in the oven until they get nice and golden brown. They're great grilled with spices or barbecue sauce outside. When you're grilling other meats, you can just throw the onions on the grill as well. You can also make wonderful soups with it. You can do the traditional French onion or a creamy version of it. And then another way is to caramelize them, which you do on a stove in a pan with some butter or oil, and you cook them slowly until they become golden brown. For more ideas and recipes, you can go to VidaliaOnion.org. Today marks the first full week that Vidalia onions have been available on farm market shelves near you. To locate a Georgia-grown market in your area, visit GeorgiaGrown.com. This is Nathan Wilson reminding you that if it's not local, it's not Georgia-grown. Kathy Isom tells us how farms are helping veterans work, learn, and heal. Life on the farm is being used as therapy for a variety of people, especially combat veterans suffering from both physical and emotional trauma. Treating acute trauma is only the first stage of treatment. Any effective intervention must also incorporate structures for reintegrating veterans back into their families, workplaces, and communities. That's Allison Perry, a therapist. She also is the creator of the Central Oregon Vets Ranch in Bend, Oregon, a 19-acre working farm where combat vets visit to stay, work, learn, and heal. Perry recently told a panel of lawmakers how farm work is therapeutic. Veterans benefit from being outdoors, being engaged in physical activity, strengthening themselves through work with purpose, and interacting with the natural world. Growing and caring for living things is curative for those who have participated in war. The completion of concrete tasks in agriculture is empowering and therapeutic. The research is still in its beginning stages, but Perry says the results are obvious to her. Right now we're seeing it and hearing it. I've had several vets say that the ranch has saved their life. 
Because they have a reason to get up and get out of their house and get out of their head. The Perry's Ranch is only able to handle a few people, and there are over 1,300 military people returning to civilian life every day. 40% of those are reportedly from rural areas. Some of them have skills and have jobs waiting for them. Others do not. Many suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or some other physical injury, or both, and they need a job or business to go into. Perry. Says at the moment at her farm. Our goal is to increase the vocational component, but right now in our startup phase, what we're focused on and what we're seeing results with is the therapeutic component. I'm Kathy Isom, Southeast Agnet. And to wrap up this week's podcast, Ever Griner talks about how olives could become an alternative to citrus in Florida. Citrus farming has always defined agriculture in Florida, but losses to the disease citrus greening. As some farmers considering alternative crops, after all, over 160,000 acres of trees have fallen to greening, while science fights to overcome the disease. Meanwhile, olives may give Florida farmers a new crop to lean on. America is the third largest consumer of olive oil in the world, so it's logical that we produce our own. So farmers are watching to see if olives could be an alternative to oranges. Currently, over 50 growers are tending about 300 acres of olive trees that appear to be doing well. With similar numbers in Georgia, olives look like a very promising crop. Be assured that if olives does succeed, Florida's image won't change. Citrus will never disappear. Everett Griner, Southeast Agnet. Those reports and more from this past week can be found on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast Agnet.